When it comes to Italian genre cinema, we've discussed all the heavy hitters to some respect. Dario Argento, Mario Bava, Umberto Lenzi, Ruggiero Diodato, Enzo G. Castellari, and DBV favorite Lucio Fulci. We've even dipped our toes into the deeper end of Italian cinema with the work of Claudio Fragazzo and Bruno Mattei. But we've never touched on the work of Luigi Cosi. Now, Luigi Cosi is a much different filmmaker from all the other known Italian filmmakers of the late 20th century. He was an outsider. He was born and raised in the city of Busto Arizio, which is a smaller city, mostly known for its industrial manufacturing and is definitely not a safe and nurturing environment for a filmmaker. Early on, Luigi Cosi became fluent in English and became a foreign correspondent for the American film publications, Famous Monsters of Filmland and Photon. While attending film school in 1969, he directed and edited the low-budget science fiction film, The Tunnel Under the World, when he was only 21 years old. Uh, While it's mostly forgotten today, it gained the attention of a former film critic who was about to embark on his own filmmaking career, and that filmmaker was Dario Argento. We should also point out that Luigi Cosi directed a film a whole year before Dario Argento directed his film, first film, um, The Bird with the Crystal Plumage, and... Argento had been a screenwriter for Sergio Leone and uh, Bernardo Bertolucci in the 60s, and, uh, and Cosi still beat him to the screen. Argento was so impressed that he hired Luigi Cosi to write his upcoming films, Four Flies on Grey Velvet, and the little scene comedy, The Five Days. Cosi would quickly go on to direct his own pictures, The Killer Must Kill Again, La Portiera Nuda, and Take All of Me. Feeling constrained by the Italian giallos and comedies he was making, he bought the rights to the original Godzilla and re-edited it with footage from the bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, colorizing parts of it and releasing it as Godzilla 77. Gosh, tasteful. (laughs) It was a hit in Europe and allowed him to make the sci-fi smash. It was. Star Crash. Uh, Star Crash, which we've not covered on the pod, but I do want to do eventually because I love that film. Um, And it was... With the success of Godzilla 77 and Star Crash, uh, he, it allowed him to leave the horror genre and pursue bigger budgeted productions with American financing, such as the Lou Ferringo starring Hercules movies uh, produced and financed by Canon Films. Towards the end of the 1980s, Italian producers were eager to get Kazi back into the horror genre. While he had continued to act as a story editor for Dario Argento as a favor to him, he had not directed a horror film since The Killer Must Kill Again in 1975. He said that the only way he could return to horror is if he could make a film based upon the legend of the 18th century violinist Nicolio Paganini, the violinist who was so talented that it was rumored that he sold his soul to the devil for his musical talent. And these rumors were so strong that when he died in 1840, the Catholic Church refused to bury his body in a Catholic cemetery. And this is the film that we're here to discuss tonight. It is Luigi Cosi's Paganini Horror. It's Death by Video! Yay! Here's a movie that you never seen. The map is some ninjas or a crazy death machine. There'll be smiles, there'll be tears. You won't watch a movie for about 8 billion years. It's time for Death by Video. Time for death by video. And now the show will begin. Hey, I'm Phil. I'm Ted. I'm Graham. And we're back. First pod of 2020, even though. Yeah. 2020, even though? Sorry, 2021. Story 20, part two. Yeah. (laughs) Still doing it. Not much has changed. Oh, I mean, things have gotten worse, but, you know. Uh, it's the 13th month of 2020. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, apologies to listeners for uh, there being a, a gap in episodes. Um, my apartment flooded and I'm currently homeless. So, uh, you know, I'm recording this under a bridge right now. Um, but yeah, Pegging Union Horror. Graham, you should go back to the old uh, abandoned video store. Hang out there. All right. What was it? <laughs> South of Highway 7, east of the 401? I believe somewhere around there. Just uh, just outside of Newmarket and uh, north of Markham. Yeah, the, uh, the anomalous uh, region around uh, Vaughn. Yeah, when you get to the the abandoned video store, it actually your compass just starts spinning in a circle. 
because it's like <laughs> it's like a Bermuda Triangle. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. It's the Bermuda Triangle of Ontario. Um, how have you guys been? All right. How are you? Ah, you know, think I have been better, but yeah, uh, sure. I think we all have, but yeah. All, all things considered, you know, I'm okay. Uh, all right, so let's jump into Paganini Horror. So we open on, who wants to go first? It's a me, Paganini. Sorry, I just had to, at least once. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my God, so many Italian accents will be had during this. Um, I, uh, so like I watched, I watched this in two parts. I watched it last night and then I was falling asleep. So I, uh, I finished it this morning. Uh, you guys both watched it very recently as in just before we started recording. Yeah. So, uh, we begin, I think it's a shot over water. Am I, uh, not, am I correct about that? Yes, that's correct. And it's, it's in Venice, Italy, which is Mm -hmm. where they, I think they shot there for like a week and a half or something. And, um, it's a little girl coming in on a gondola. I love gondolas. I think like we should have adopted that as our primary mode of transportation in North America. She gets she gets on a gondola. She's she's toting a little uh, violin case. She's wearing. You cannot place the period of her clothing. It's really hard to tell. Yeah. It, you know, 18th century. Is it modern? Impossible to know. Hmm. She gets on a gondola. Turns out it's like 1960. Apparently. Yeah, it must be. Anyway, As we find out later. Yes, we'll get to there. Um, and uh, she basically has a violin case. She goes to her mother and uh, her mother is getting a bath and she's practicing her violin. Uh, we really should have had my father on because he is a, a violin enthusiast and he for several years was the president of the Canadian National Fiddling Association. Yes, Kit? Has, has he ever played the witch's dance? <laughs> no, but he does have a t-shirt from a fiddle competition where it refers to the the violin as the devil's box. Ooh, yeah. There were a lot of associations, not just in uh, not just with uh, with regards to Paganini, but regards to the violin that it is the uh, the devil's instrument. Mm. Um, not like that wholesome, uh, you know, cello or sorry, viola. That's what I was going to say, the viola. Um, and so uh, this kind of begins. Like a couple other films, or well, not a couple other, but sort of, it reminded me a bit of Pieces, except without the gore and the sleaze, because Pieces opens up with a child killing his mother, and this one, the little girl kills her mother by, she goes in holding a, uh, like, I guess a... a, 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 a hair dryer. Yeah, well, it's, it's a knockoff Barbie doll that she goes in initially, and she dips yeah. the doll's hair in the uh, in the bath that her mother is in, and then she's Could like... I- got a ghoulish face on it that that uh, mm-hmm. doll she's got very very disturbing yeah which i think isn't that the face that uh i'm just gonna call the killer in this movie paganini isn't that the the the, the face that paganini has later on it seems to be I, th- I think i think you're right yeah yeah uh and then she basically starts to blow dry the doll's hair and in what could be telegraphed from a mile away because she's like looking at her mother looking back at the hair dryer looking at her mother looking back at the hair dryer doing this for about a minute and then she drops the hairdryer in the um in the the bath and electrocutes her mother and then we're on to our opening credits i i love the uh i love like the echo they give the dialogue in this one just to kind of let you know that this is like a flashback mm-hmm. yeah this is from the past mm-hmm. not the present and then <laughs> we uh we jump into our after now, a prolonged electrocution uh, scene yeah, so we jump yeah, in. Which is pretty bloody. Like, there's blood starts pouring out of her nose and stuff. Mm-hmm. That's true. And we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit more. But uh, interestingly enough, the producer of this film, um, who uh, also was a producer of many Lucio Fulci films, uh, what's, where's his name? Uh, Fabrizio D'Angelis. Um, he actually wanted uh, Luigi Cosi to take out all of the gory scenes from the film because they couldn't afford it. Like this is a very very low budget production, um, and so let's see here. So film opens in Venice, uh, and then we we go to our band, which is I don't know. Yeah, the, what's the band's name? I thought the band's name might be Kate. Well, that's the the, the lead character. Uh, I know, but it could be like like Sade is a is the band's name, but also the yeah same like Cher. Yeah, it's probably it's probably Kate. So Kate is like a musician, and they're playing a very very blatant ripoff of you gave love a bad name uh yes uh because i was like well, i know this from somewhere and by ripoff i mean vast improvement because bon jovi is not very good and please don't die after i say that like what happened with van halen um 
<laughs> You're just killing musicians. Yeah, yeah. Killing rockers. Apparently. Um, so, but unfortunately, the producer, I think Elena is the, the name uh, of the producer? The producer's name is uh, Liviana. Or oh, right. Lavinia. Lavinia, sorry. Lavinia, yeah. Lavinia. Uh, Elena is one of the, uh, she's the blonde guitarist. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Uh, so Lavinia, she she basically kills the song and lets Kate know that she knows the difference between a hit and the mundane. And oh, the, man, she really tears into this song. Yeah. I, I wrote, yes, go ahead, Kit. Well, I, I wrote down a, a, a few. She calls it a complete waste of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you said, I know the difference between the, a hit and the mundane. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's anonymous and boring, which is, I thought, a weird <laughs> That's kind awesome. of way to way to describe it rehashed bullshit (laughs) your creativity has fallen on its ass and then finally this isn't it honey (laughs) um yeah availed uh bon jovi diss i guess (laughs) yeah but i'm pretty sure luigi kazi is just like you know that what i can't stand is that goddamn john bon jovi or she's she's giving the italians a bad name (laughs) (laughs) it's a me bon jovi (laughs) yeah uh, but or maybe he's a big Bon Jovi fan, and and this deriv- derivative shit is just uh, not it. No, we should point out that the music for the film was done by Vince Tempura, um, and uh, on a recent uh, recently the film was remastered and re released in high definition by Severn Films, who have been putting out a lot of Luigi Cosi films lately, and uh, in their special limited edition, they actually included a CD of the film soundtrack which initially made me want to watch the movie because I'm thinking, oh, the soundtrack must be very good. It is not. <laughs> um, I mean, I enjoy it, but I can't really call it good music. It suits the film, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, so then we're introduced to the character of, what is his name? I wrote Daniel. Daniel, yes, who I initially called Canadian Tuxedo because he uh, – sports a jean jacket and jeans while he goes to meet up with uh, Donald Pleasance. And I love this shady music buying. He's, he's, he's getting, he's getting songs off the black market. I know. And it's, apparently, <laughs> it's Paganini's last and lost uh, composition that apparently only he knows about. And apparently Donald Pleasance has. And so he basically just gives like a bag of money to Donald Pleasance and takes the composition and what, what's the uh, what's the uh, code for the briefcase, Graham? Oh, oh crap! I don't. The combination? Oh, oh, you don't know? Yeah, yeah. So the it's number of the beast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's six six six, which is like always <laughs> a bad thing. Where it's like, oh, what's the code? Six six six. I'm like, well, this can't possibly go right. Mm-hmm. By the way, I have been to. I think it's six 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 Sherburn uh, Avenue in Toronto. It's a <laughs> They, uh, it, it's an apartment building. And when someone told me the address, I'm like, you're kidding me. No one would actually have the building 666. And I think there's a 666 floor. I think there is. But is it like a 666 to 668 or something where they like combine the two addresses? I just always, I feel like I always pass by it. Like if I'm going out Dufferin way and it's like 666 and it's just like some like a, like a quinceanera dress shop or some shit like that. Nice. It's like, completely nondescript you figure that church of satan that's like big in the states would be buying up all the properties with 666 in them apparently they're the new uh whatchamacallit the new scientology um uh what was i going to say so he he basically gets this like illicit composition and they do the thing that i love in movies about music where people who don't actually perform music they like look at at sheet written music and are like oh my god this is gonna sound amazing (laughs) Nobody can just look at music and understand how it's going to sound. At least not in this, not since the days of Beethoven and Bach and, uh, and Paganini, of course. Because it's just like, no one does that. They'll look at it and be like, okay, I kind of think I know how it's going to go. And then they have to play it out with the timing. It's like, oh, this sounds good. I, I love uh, Donald Pleasance, by the way, in this. He's just a, like an eternally trench coach, trench-coated man. He seemed to be having a great time just yeah. In Venice there. By the way, I couldn't tell and I couldn't find any evidence of this. Is that not his voice? Like that that doesn't sound like his voice. No, it sounds like it was dubbed. Well, I mean, all yeah. the 
All the all the dialogue in the film was dubbed because it was an Italian film. Yeah. But I think somebody else dubbed Donald Pleasance's voice. Yeah, because he has such a distinct voice. And, I mean, yeah. it sounds like somebody doing like an impression. Like it's like well, it's kind of weird. Yeah. But uh, maybe he was just like, yeah, I can't. I'm not going to be able to do the uh, dubbing, guys. Sorry. I'm too drunk. <laughs> maybe it was him then. Yeah, just loving it. Um, the interesting thing about Donald Pleasance is that he was, they only, they had him for a full week, but they shot out all of his scenes in three days. Because Luigi Cosi, if if nothing, he knows how to like, they only had three weeks to shoot the whole movie. So he knows how to like get through the shots and keep things moving. So I'm guessing they shot his scene where he uh, sells Daniel, the uh, the lost composition of Paganini on one day, the scene of him like throwing the money from, the roof of the building another day and then probably the the uh, climax or the not the climax but the the last scene in the film which we'll talk about in a little bit on the third day so uh daniel brings the money back or the, the money the um the composition back to kate and lavinia and where do we go from there phil uh, yeah then you learn about uh the like oh wow paganini like Paganini sold his soul to the devil. You're getting all this exposition from Lavinia and uh, how like Paganini's public domain. If we incorporate Paganini into the music, we have a surefire hit on our hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Which I'm just like, I don't know too many people that were listening to classical music as, you know, pop songs. Yeah. Um, this is also when they say that like they literally, this movie has a bad habit of people standing around and explaining what's going to happen or just explaining what's happened. Um, Cause right here, they literally say, Oh, we're going to go to this location and we'll shoot a music video and we'll call it Paganini horror, which is the title of the movie. And we'll get the world's best horror director, Mark Singer to direct it. <laughs> <laughs> and then they just do it. Then they say, it'll be just like thriller. Well, it'll be just like bigger than thriller. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it'll be bigger than Thriller. And and they're like, yeah. And then the next scene is uh, we see what looks like Kate um, uh, back in the 1800s, uh, basically discovering the deal between the devil and Paganini. And I should point out, um, they actually, the, so the character uh, has voiceover of what's written in the contract. And then we see the contract written in English on screen. And the voiceover does not match what's written on the contract. So let me see my note here, which is, so the text in the contract between Panini and the devil says, uh, like, I'll give my soul to you for eternal wealth. Whereas the voiceover said by Kate says, I'll, re- I'll give my soul to you for eternal fame. So it's, it's a minor quibble, but it's something that I noticed right away where I'm like, that doesn't say fame, that says wealth. So then two different things, because fame means you'll be known throughout the ages and wealth means that you'll just be rich while you're alive. So it's it's a it's a slight screw up, but I notice it and it does create a bit of a, an error. Did you want well, to say? Well, to be fair, this is this does turn out after a little bit to be the music video that they're filming. So they could have messed that up. That's true. In the music video, it's reasonable. Maybe Mark Singer isn't the genius that people keep on shouting at him to be considering that he seems to just shoot all of his scenes in one take a one unbroken shot handheld on a little camera that he's carrying around i don't think he's the genius that everyone thinks he is <laughs> he just like oh ass tits yeah legs <laughs> like a real bootleg john landis <laughs> yeah uh so let's so phil uh what happens next oh uh, I'm totally blanking right now. Oh, well, yes, we get to the, so we get to the thing where she gets stabbed. I guess uh, Paganini approaches her. Uh, Kate gets stabbed. The meanwhile, the whole whole while she's saying out loud what's going on, which is hilarious. Mm -hmm. Kind of how you guess that uh, it might be a music video because she's like, what am I doing in this dress? I didn't put this dress on. Why am I in this house? What's that music going on? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is kind of funny. And then, yeah, she's confronted by Paganini. She sees the deal and then she's stabbed a bunch of times and it's really like gory. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at this point you hear like uh, the cameraman comes in. He's like, oh, that's it. All right, pull away, pull away or whatever. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have it much sounds of a like crew, cardboard but... being stabbed. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't have much of a crew. It's just him, basically. They just get Mark Singer. He doesn't have any 
Mm-hmm. Anybody uh, gripping? Also, no lights. Well, there was no lights for that entire room. Uh, so he's clearly like a proto Dogma 95 type director. It's well lit, a well lit room nonetheless, somehow. Yeah, in the 1980s, where you didn't have digital low light f- photography. Um, so then we're introduced to Mark Singer, who is played by uh, Pietro Gilnardi. Gilnardi? Um, uh, the only other role that he's really known for is he played the role of New Mare in Cemetery Man, or a.k.a. De la Morte de la Mor by Michele Suave, who was another, uh, another guy that hung out with uh, Argento and Luigi Cazzi. Um, just to uh, mm-hmm. finish up my thought on the, the, the gross uh, bloody stabbing that they show a close-up of, uh, Daniel comes over like, you know, he's taken off his mask. He was the uh, Paganini guy. Uh, and he's like, do you think they'll allow, do you think the censors will allow all this? Like, no, no, the censors aren't going to allow that in a music video, that kind of gross stabbing stuff. Just occurred to me that was funny. You never know. I mean, it's, it's Europe, it's Europe, right? But, uh, but as Mark Singer says, like, it's, it's a music video. There's no ratings board. And I think that was almost a dig at the Italian, the notorious uh, censorship that Italian filmmakers had to face around the world. Cause they, their films were pretty just lawless in terms of like what they could actually shoot. And then, you know, they'd send it to America and it would be cut to ribbons. They'd send it to Britain. And most of the times it would be just be straight up banned. It'd be get banned in Germany and Finland, France, all those places. So it was probably just a dig at international censorship uh, towards Italian filmmakers at the time. All right. Well, I stand corrected. Mm-hmm. I guess it would fly in Italy. Yeah. So now forgive me because I'm trying to remember what happens between now and when Paganini starts well, showing well, we up. Get- we get the backstory about Paganini, about how um, he made a deal with the devil. He actually um, he used his wife's intestines for the uh, – he stabbed his wife and used her intestines for the strings of his violin. Yeah. Like, you know, I guess they make – they used to make violin string out of cat gut or something like that. Yeah. I guess yeah. it was the wife gut. Um, and then – so we, we learn about that. And then it cuts to, I think, Donald Pleasance uh, in his trench coat on a gondola just – hugging his bag of money like a like a like a beloved family pet of some sort mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he goes up to the top of um the building and i love there's a little moment in it where he when he goes when he's going up the building he he's clearly like not really given told much direction of what to do it's like okay go up and he like opens up the gate that leads to the stairs and he kind of gives the gate a nod like oh yes i'm gonna go up you and then he does it and then he gets to the top of the building. He opens up the bag full of money and he just starts throwing it out and like into the wind. He says, uh, little demons, little demons, all of you. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, would love to have some of those little demons he was just tossing away. Yeah. Um, and then he gets into this long exposition here, which I, I can't quite exactly remember. He just starts explaining how this has to tie in with Satan and blah, 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 and all of this and and the fools who who bought their fame and fortune with he basically uh irons out that uh, daniel crossed the line when he paid for that song because he's buying their fame and fortune or something like that he's right yeah yeah, yeah. this uh, it's some metaphor that gets lost in translation um and then we're back they get pop music throughout the ages mm-hmm. yeah and then we're we're back at the music video and uh they've got uh satan dancing around uh oh. and Satan is hilarious because the head, it's just one, it's one of the girls wearing a, a Satan head mask uh, with a cape. But the Satan head does look like, like the Burger King King, except like. Uh, yes. <laughs> until just now. He's got that big smile and stuff. It's, it's kind of funny. Cool. And then, so isn't it revealed that it's Kate underneath uh, as Satan? I or- believe. Yeah. Yeah which is really mixing its metaphors as to what the music video is about. Cause initially she was like stabbed by Paganini who sold the soul to the devil. And then later on, she is the devil, which could be foreshadowing for Donald Pleasance's reveal as being maybe the devil at the end of the movie. Um, and I just recall after this, there's a scene of people standing around in a line, all talking about stuff, all basically like talking about exposition. Uh, well, they, they show some of the music video with the girls kind of like, wandering around with their guitars and their bass guitar. Uh, and then for some reason, um, Kate is actually singing into a microphone while she's, she's doing the music video, which makes no sense for a music video. They never do that. 
Yeah. All you have to do is sing. You don't have to have a mic. No, there's no live. They don't record it live. Um, <laughs> and I do want to point out that despite dying nearly 100 years before the movie is set, 150 years before the movie is set, Paganini wrote some decent rock set esque soft rock because the song they actually make is very soft and it could be like rock set or maybe even a Belinda Carlisle uh, track. Uh, He's ahead of his time, Graham. Yeah. I know. Um, the other thing is that the, they do reveal that. So we're introduced to the character of Sylvia, who is played by Daria Nicolode, who we'll talk about later, a very well-known, famous Italian actress who sadly passed away this year. Um, and she basically says like, yeah, you know, the interesting thing is this is the house where Paganini lived. And, uh, and this is the actual room where he sold his soul to the devil because <laughs> it's like, everyone's just standing around like, huh, this is a really good idea. What a neat coincidence. That people we're- are very, yeah. People are very matter of fact. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, well, it's around this time that I noticed that the, uh, the bassist, I think her name is Rita. Right. Uh, it, you know, she's kind of attractive. Uh, and then, of course, she's immediately, like, uh, murdered. She's the first yeah. to go. So this is the first. And also, uh, we should point out that it's Paganini. And the way that they show Paganini is it's a person in, like, 18th or 19th century clothing with a mask and, uh, and like, and we do see this. Yeah, we do see this mask lying around. Mm-hmm. It's, like, part of their gear. that They've got stuff um, around. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, the girls go upstairs for a uh, costume change, I guess. Yeah. And, Rita, and then as soon as Rita says, oh, I'll be down in a second. Don't worry. I won't be long. You know, she's gone. It's mm-hmm. tragic when she says those words. Yeah. No, she's toast. Um, but she's killed the uh, Paganini. Because initially I wasn't sure if this was going to be supernatural or not. Because he uses a switchblade violin. Mm-hmm. Which is very... It's going to be very difficult because the part where the switchblade comes out, that's where you rest it on your shoulder and put your neck up right against it. So if you hit it the wrong way, you're going to get that switchblade right in the neck while you're playing. Um, and then, yeah, so then Rita is killed. And this is where we get the scene where all the characters stand in a semicircle towards camera and have a conversation. Um, and then uh, what else are we looking at here? Uh, so Kate, so well, yes, what happens next? Uh, they notice Rita didn't come down and they wonder where she is. Yeah. And the funny thing is they just kind of assume that she left. They're like, Oh, she must've taken off. Mm-hmm. How are we going to film the rest of this? Without yeah. Cause they're just like, Oh no, we need at least three women or else the whole thing won't work. <laughs> yeah. Genius. Mark Singer is like, I can't do it without this. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, couldn't you just, you know, you've already got some footage of her. You're just making a music video. It's not a feature length. No. Hey guys, just a heads up. We got 10 minutes before this meeting. Yeah. Cut off. Um, so back to the film. Uh, and then doesn't Mark Singer then come up with the brilliant idea of, we'll just use mannequins. Mannequins. Yeah. There's a whole room. Didn't even say something like, he did that whole thing where, where like he, he says what he's thinking out loud and then realizes how to do it. Also while saying it all out loud. Yeah. And then this is when they sort of split up. Right. Yeah. Well, they're like, Sylvia's like, yeah, I guess you can use the mannequins. That sounds okay. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they, they do split up, but if this movie moves quick is one thing I kind of liked about it because then, uh, Daniel, um, cause they were initially like, oh, well maybe we'll get Daniel to play. Uh, he can fill in for Rita. And he's like, I can't be on film guys. You know, I'm under contract with another label, uh, blah, blah, blah. It's bad enough when I wear the mask. Um, but uh, then they figure out this thing with the mannequins. He's like, I'll go grab those mannequins. And he goes to get them. And he immediately sees Rita uh, wearing like a, a kind of a sheer white thing, standing in some soft light. Um, and she beckons to him and he's like, what are you doing out here? Why are you wearing that? And then she doesn't say anything. She just turns and moves. And I love this, uh, uh, this thing that people do in movies where they just kind of follow. And then uh, he, she goes down another corridor and, beckons him further and he's like i guess i'll just follow even though he's like saying rita what's going on and she's not responding yeah no exactly uh because yeah my notes i basically there's a huge gap from that point and uh when helen dies of the fungus Uh, (laughs) but oh okay i can i can fill in if you like graham i can kind of speed us through it cool 
Um, so uh, Rita beckons him in kind of a, into a dark room, uh, which is funny. It's like a terrifying math room. There's like a poster of Einstein on the wall and E equals MC square is scrawled on there and some other <laughs> figures and stuff. It's like they had, to, they, they had a very limited budget and they could only the poster of Einstein is funny because it's like. Is Albert Einstein in on this? Is he is he a demigod? Is he in league with Satan? Maybe he also sold his soul to Satan for that. <laughs> That's how he got the math. Where's genius? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so then this one happens pretty quickly. Basically, um, Paganini shows up uh, and then hits Daniel or knocks him and he falls down and he's got blood on his head. And it's like, well, that's it for Daniel. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then everybody else is wondering what happened to Daniel? What's going on? Um, and the funny thing is they like, um, they, their, their way of searching for Daniel and Rita is just to like stand outside and scream their names. Like they're cats. Yeah. Like it's it's a lost family animal. (laughs) I remember it was also this Daniel! Rita! Yeah. Cause initially (laughs) I was like, this is so weird that like we've chosen to like just make the outside a tint of blue. And it's, it was a little while into this that I realized, Oh, they're shooting day for night, and this is their how they're showing it's night outside. It's just to make everything blue. Oh, that was impossible to tell. I thought it was just like maybe a foggy day, but I'm sure they could find their way back to that big house. Yeah, but when the sun came <laughs> up, it was like, oh, it's supposed to be night. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, that does make sense. So, Phil, where do we go from there? Uh, yeah. So then, um, this, are we at the part where um, they go? Th- there's like a hole in the trap door. No, well, Sylvia comes back uh, and she's like, I found something terrible. You guys got to follow me. And then she takes them to the, the terrifying math room. Yes. And there's a pile of ashes on the ground and like uh, Daniel's ring. Sorry, Kit. Did you just say math room? The terrifying math room. Yeah. That's not bathroom. I like it. Okay, let's go with it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, so they find his ring and, and Sylvia, who seems, I guess, she had a crush on Daniel or something. She's like, this was his ring, wasn't it? Oh my God. And she, she gets very upset and they're like, yeah, it was his ring. Um, and the director comes in and um, I forget what he, he's, he's saying. He's, he's like, this is, this is nonsense. A man can't just get burned into ash. That doesn't happen. That's impossible. Why? I bet the devil himself wouldn't be able to come up here and do that or some, some then, weird kind of turn of phrase. Kate through, falls through the floor, right? Immediately when he says that Kate falls through the uh, through the floor, uh, Daniel goes to grab her. Oh no, uh, Daniel's dead. Uh, Mark goes to grab her um, and tries to pull her up, um, and then he gets electrocuted, um, and he, he he drops her. He lets her, he lets her go, and then they they he's like, "We got to get out of here. This place is bad news." Um, so him and Elena get in a car. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then this part is wild. Um, he drives for a second, yeah. and then uh, electricity happens with the car. Just all electricity kind of bubbles up. Elena is thrown from the vehicle somehow. Mm-hmm. And, and what happens to the director, Graham? Oh, he uh, burns up in the car. Like his body is like windshield <laughs> somehow. And then Elena is just like on the side of the the road like injured somewhat or i thought her name was helen maybe it's ellen elena is what i got okay yeah played by uh michelle klippelstein oh klippstein yeah of course that actress we all know and love um and so then uh i think kate sylvia and lavinia no sorry no kate sorry sylvia and lavinia take elena back inside they go back to the math room to try to figure, like, can we save Kate? Right. And this is when Lavinia climbs down into the, the hole. And say what you will about Lavinia being tough on the band earlier and kind of being a huge bitch to them. I mean, she will leap into a literal pit of hell yeah. to, uh, to save her band. I know. She's, she's like the, the true hero of the movie. What a manager. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the kind you need that tells you the harsh truth, but it always got your back. Um, yeah, she and, goes down into the pit. And I have to admit that this is when I sort of lost the plot again. Oh. Like, next, guys. I feel like the movie lost the plot. <laughs> yeah. Um, the movie uh, lost probably. Lavinia is crawling around down there. Um, and then the uh, two other girls are standing up there. And um, uh, Sylvia is like, I got to go 
she's like, I'm going to go check upstairs or something like that. Mm. She's like, you wait here. Uh, and then she leaves. And then meanwhile, um, uh, Elena looks down. She's, she's shivering. She's scared. She's in her skimpy little um, uh, music video outfit, spandex thing. Oh, yeah, the spandex. on the sides going up her legs and stuff. A leotard one piece thing. Um, and she looks at her arm and it's got like a fungus on it. She's like, what's that? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's pretty much the last we see of her. Until we see her body later on. Um, I'm, I'm looking at the clock as well, Graham. Um, and oh, what happens there? Oh, yes. Uh, Sylvia goes upstairs and she sees Daniel through an upstairs window. Uh, it really does look like daylight out there. <laughs> Maybe they forgot they were supposed to be shooting day for night. Uh, he, he beckons her. Uh, to come downstairs and she's like oh Daniel wait for me I'm coming and she runs uh, runs down the stairs exits the house Uh, of course he's gone Uh, and then she comes like uh, to the drained pool that's there kind of with uh, with a little bit of water in it pardon me Um, and that's Kate down there Uh, is where Kate just kind of confused oh yeah I forget the reason she left before where she left uh, Elena standing there was a scream and right. they're like, well, that can't be uh, uh, Lavinia. That came from upstairs. So she went to go check out the screen. All right. So Kate's been found in the pool. And where do we go from there, Phil? Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. This is not oh. one of the best. It's... Um, so I think then we rejoin uh, Lavinia, who's, uh, who hasn't been lost in the tunnel, as it turns out. She's just crawling around down there. She crawls and crawls and crawls and finally comes up somewhere. And lo and behold, she's still in the goddamn terrifying math room um with the right baby. it's got a <laughs> giant hourglass in there i think we forgot to point out for some unknown reason like i'm i'm not sure if we ever discovered what the deal is with the uh the big hourglass uh glowing the glowing red hourglass yeah um but there's a lot of uh, up. yeah and she's like this can't i couldn't have doubled back it's not possible um and of course elena is no longer there um, so then she runs out and, um, she meets up with Kate and, uh, Sylvia mm-hmm. who are reunited. So now they're all back together and they're happy yeah. about that. Um, but then they see some blood and some gross shit and hear some groaning from up yeah. the stairs. And I think somebody else can take it from here. Uh, this is where we find, uh, uh Elena's body and she's dead and covered in a... She's not dead yet, Graham. Oh, she's almost dead. Um... <laughs> Then it's she the grossest died. part of the movie. It's a and the gore looks like condiments, spilled condiments, basically. Mm-hmm. But her like eyeball is hanging out. She's like yeah. covered in this weird like gore, like her yeah. body is just yeah. covered in sores. Yeah, the uh, and she's like that day. She sounds bad. She sounds like some sort of a uh, horse beast. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's just like moaning in pain. And all they can do is she's kind of writhing. She falls on a bed and she's writhing in pain. And all they can do is like cry and hold their hold their faces and just watch and cry. And this goes on for a, for a weirdly uh, long amount of time. And then Elena dies, I guess. Her head kind of falls to the sides. So, you know, she's actually dead. And then uh, Lavinia just does a huge exposition dump of, oh, look at that fungus. It's like the fungus they used to find on on logs that. that floated. I down know that fungus <laughs> that floated down the rivers in Venice in like 500 years ago that were used to make violins it was the finest wood but the fungus was terrible Stradivarius Paganini they all made their violins from that fungus I heard about it on a show that I watched on tv no no the line's even a little bit better than that Graham she's like I saw it one time in a tv documentary exactly and then all of a sudden um Actually, here's the thing. The math room ties into this when Sylvia starts talking about mathematics is just like music. In fact, there's a lot of, oh, what else did they say? They theorize that Paganini's lost composition somehow has opened up an interdimensional door, which has caused all the evil spirits to take over the house, and that the math that created the universe was actually musical in and like this is all just like a big big exposition dump of nonsense that doesn't really mean anything <laughs> while they're all standing around elena's gory dead body they're all just like figuring out all these universal truths yes mm-hmm. the universe is based on math and blah 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 yeah. and this uh, long thing about how uh then basically the upshot of all of this is that they determine that music is required 
to send Paganini back to hell or yes. wherever. And luckily, Kate knows how to play the violin. Yeah, because the power's not- been out, apparently, which you wouldn't be able to tell because the place is so damn well lit. Mm-hmm. Candles. Um, so then where are we now? Uh, there's a lot of... I, I did notice, and I want to point this out, there's a lot of handheld wide shots in the film. And I'm assuming this is just because they only had three weeks to shoot the whole movie. And so to save on time setting up, it's just like, okay, we'll just go handheld and we'll move the camera around and we'll follow the characters. And that'll be what we do. We won't do coverage. We won't do shot reverse shot, which is why the characters always stand in a line when they're talking to each other. Um, and so uh, Kate picks up the gold violin, which looking at it being a, a like a, like I, I play the violin a little bit. That is a cheap ass violin. Like, if it's painted gold, you can tell that that's like not a good violin at all. And also, Kate doesn't know how to play the violin because she's playing it all wrong. Um, oh, there's so much bad violin miming. That's very <laughs> even by Paganini at the end. Um, oh yeah, especially with Paganini at the end by the master himself. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so she plays the song, and initially they're like, "I don't think anything's changed." And is this it's is like- when. Levine. One second after they finish the song, it's like the world's still the same. Nothing has changed. Like, yeah. give it a minute. Yeah. And then is this is when Lavinia gets squ- squished by an invisible wall. No, right? no, 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 no. That that's coming up. Um, oh, this right. they have to they're play like, we gotta way. we gotta go see if the electrical field is there because some oh at, my God. at some point yeah, it's been it's determined hard. that an electrical mm-hmm. field is hemming them in and allowing keeping them from leaving the uh, mansion mm-hmm. or estate. Mm-hmm. Um, so they go out and they go to the car where. Uh, Mark's body is still smoldering on the hood. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like this little bit of uh, fill-in dialogue. I think um, uh, Sylvia, or one of the girls, uh, says to Kate, oh, that's Mark, by the way, because she wasn't there when he died. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> Mark. <laughs> that's Mark, how he died. Her body just smoking in the background. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so then Kate's like, well, this is where the crash happened, so this is where the barrier should be, and it's not here. We're free. And then she goes out a little further. She goes out a little further and then she gets electrocuted. And then Lavinia comes over and grabs her and she gets electrocuted. No, Kate grabs her and then she gets electrocuted. Then Sylvia comes over and she pulls them away. And I thought for a second, I thought it was going to be hilarious how it was going to be like, uh, Kate get, uh, Lavinia gets electrocuted and then Kate comes to grab her and she gets electrocuted. And then Sylvia comes to grab her and she gets electrocuted, but it didn't happen. So then they realize they need to play the song backwards. Why didn't she think of this before? What a dummy. She's so upset with herself. And by the way, playing a song written for violin backwards is so insanely difficult. You would like have to playing, learn it. Playing it forwards is impossible. Like, it's so difficult. Playing it backwards, I just don't even know. So she tries, and this is when Lavinia gets squished by an yes. invisible wall. Because they have, to, they have to hold up the piece of music for her, then the piece of music blows away. So right. Lavinia chases after it, mm-hmm. and then she gets well. The thing bursts into flames, burns it's her hand. Bursts into flames, yeah. And then she gets squished by an invisible wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is wild. And the 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 two other women just kind of stand and stare and gasp. Was what else can you gets, do when your friend's being squished? Mm-hmm. And she her head explodes, which I'm just like, yay! That was like a good, good head explosion in a movie. Um, and, and so then Paganini shows up, old Pagster, yeah. He shows up and he uses his switchblade violin to kill Sylvia, allegedly. Um, and then he basically, what happens next? Because then there's a big cello case. Yeah, he knocks, I think he knocks Kate out somehow, yeah. mm-hmm. I believe. And she winds up in the cello case? He puts her in the cello case. Yeah, sure. she, she wakes up, she comes to, and he's got the big cello case. Uh, and then he starts this whole, I think there's more exposition mm-hmm. about something. Um, yeah. And he puts her in the cello case and lights it on fire and starts yeah. playing the old violin. But not playing violin at all. No, no, <laughs> doing, a, doing a shit job of it. Yeah. And I love Kate during this when, when, when she starts, you know, it's lit on fire, uh, smoke, you can see her face in there. And she's like, burning, burning. <laughs> yep. Is what you'd say when you're burning on fire. Well, I mean, if if we learn one thing from this, someone said all the characters talk in exposition, so she's just saying what she's sensing right now. Burning, burning, hungry, cold. Panic, panic, burning. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the old sun pops out of the uh, the horizon. Sun beams of the right over old Paganini. 
mm-hmm. um, and he burns up like Nosferatu. Yeah. And, uh, and then he Cage, burns into a perfect pile of ashes in the shape of a music symbol. Yes, uh, the triple clef, as it's called. And then, so Kate leaves and she goes outside and then a car pulls up and it's Sylvia in a red dress. What? And then Sylvia says like, did you play the song backwards? And they just let that drop. They don't explain what that would mean, what happened, if that's what caused Paganini to disappear when the sun came up. And then Mr. Pickett... She did destroy. She destroys the violin, by the way. She does make a point of destroying the violin. She's like, ah, it's enough of this. He's dead. I know. So they'll just get another violin to play the song. Okay. Um, And then... And then... So basically... Donald Pleasant pops out of the car. And says... Oh, this is her own personal hell. Apparently, Sylvia was a little girl in the start of the film that killed her mother, and she has to relive that night, but not the night she killed her mother, the night that she hung out with that rock band that resurrected Paganini in an endless loop forever. And Kate says, so is this place hell? And Mr. Pickett says, it's Sylvia's hell or something to that effect. Their personal hell, yeah. Yeah, and so the Paganini house is maybe hell, and... Uh, Donald Pleasance is maybe the devil, but he doesn't really say. But it's not, it's not like she has to relive the exact same night over. She just has to, it's, it's, I think that scenario was the rock mm-hmm. band. I think he keeps on giving her new scenarios because the, uh, the people who pull up are a family, like a, a husband and wife, yeah. little girl, and even, uh, all, uh, the one thing we should point out is that Donald Pleasant says that everyone that comes to this house is damned. Yeah. And he said, except for the little girl in that family. So he might spare her. And, but Kate's like, well, I didn't do anything wrong. And, and he's like, well, no, you sold your soul for musical success. And so he takes out a dagger that whose head is a treble clef and stabs her saying like, die sinner or something. <laughs> That's what he says. Yeah, I think. And then, <laughs> yes, Phil? Oh yeah. And then he says, oh yeah, I hate people who uh, sell their souls for fame or something. Yeah. He's like, I, I don't like that. Or I hate people who do that. Mm-hmm. He stabs them. And then, he, and then Sylvia leads in the family into the Paganini house and credits. Yeah, and it's funny, uh, and I was saying this to you before we started the recording, Graham, but right even until the credits dropped, I was prepared and thought was still possible that they could have a thing where the director goes, cut, all right, that's a wrap, that's a great music video, guys, this is going to blow them away. I really yeah. thought that could happen until the very last second. The greatest 82-minute music video <laughs> Um, that would outdo Thriller. Thriller's only a measly, like, what, 12 minutes? Mm-hmm. Something like that. Uh, so that, that was Paganini Horror. So I'll talk a little bit about the background of the film. Uh, it stars Jasmine uh, Malmone as Kate, and she's best known for appearing in Lamberto Bava's Demons as Nancy in the film Within a Film. Uh, she would also go on to appear in Kazi's film Il Gatto Nero, which is the very next film he did, which is uh, the uh, Edgar Allan Poe's The Black Cat, uh, AKA Demon Six, which I uh, have the newly released Blu-ray of, and I'm, I'm excited to watch. Um, uh, of course, the film also stars the late Daria Nicolode, uh, who worked on the script for this film, and she's best known for her collaborations with Dario Argento, having written the original Suspiria as well as his film Inferno. Her acting career began in 1970 with the film Many Wars Ago. Uh, she appeared in many films by Dario Argento, including her his breakthrough film Deep Red, as well as Tenebre, Phenomena, Opera, and The Mother of Tears. Um, she's widely known for her uncredited work of encouraging, nurturing, and building uh, Italian talent, uh, including the careers of Luigi Cazzi, Lamberto Bava, and uh, Michele Soave, as well as her daughter, Asia Argento. Um, the film also features Maria Cristina Mas- Mastrangeli as Lavinia, Pascal Perziano as Daniel, uh, Michel, or no, Michel Klipstein as Alenia, uh, Pietro Gunardi as Mark Singer, and Donald yeah. Pleasant as, yeah, Pietro, and Donald Pleasant as Mr. Pickett. Uh, so a lot of Italian names there for me to pronounce. And Donald uh, Pleasant. Except for Ann Donald Pleasance, the most Italian name of all. <laughs> it's a me. It's a me. Don Olio. <laughs> Pleasantsky. Um, <laughs> so the film Polish, was, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would be. I got it wrong. <laughs> oh, and Phil missed that joke, too. Um, 
So the film is produced by Fabrizio D'Angelis, uh, who produced the Lucio Fulci films, Zombie 2, The Beyond, The House by the Cemetery, and The New York Ripper, all of which, except for House by the Cemetery, we've done episodes for. Hey. Uh, yeah, and the development of Paganini Horror was based on the premise that the, of the film Paganini, a pet project of actor Klaus Kinski, was going to be a great success. So there were actually two Paganini horror films that came out in Italy in 1989. Um, and uh, Kazi came up with the title for the film and producer uh, Eugio Valenti hired Enzo Ciotti to illustrate a poster for the film after which a script began to be developed. Kazi's original screenplay included references to the violinist Paganini, as well as elements of Kazi's favorite genre, science fiction. So Paganini uh, horror was originally going to be filmed in Colombia, where Kazi's previous film, Contamination, had been shot. Uh, actually, that was not his previous film. It was a previous film of his, because uh, he had done the American productions in between Contamination and this film. Uh, and the original premise featured a haunted house where time constantly fluctuates, changing a person's age. However, Valentini, uh, Valenti did not like Kazi's script, which led to Kazi continuously changing it until Valente left the film industry. So that's Damn. how, yeah, so Kazi knew how to drive a person insane, apparently. And after that, Kazi enlisted Daria Nicolode to help with the screenplay, borrowing ideas from a television series that he had worked on with her titled Turno del Notte. Sorry. No, it's fine. With that mustache, you could be Italian. You should be. Hey, hey it's me. Chris, Christopher E. Chris, what? I don't know. Um, so, uh, Fabrizio D'Angelis, the producer, told Kazi to scrap all of the gory scenes as the budget would not allow them, which led to Kazi having to rewrite the script to include a more, fantast- more fantastical scenes in their place, which is why we get the blue light outside all the randomness, which also kind of contributes to the film's kind of like, you're not really sure quite what's going on atmosphere. Uh, Kazi was extremely frustrated with the production team, especially in Jealous. And he said, there I was with this beautiful, ambitious script. And they handed me a 16 millimeter camera and gave me a villa to start shooting in and said, start shooting. Uh, in conditions like those, not even the best director in the world could have done any better. Um, and Luigi Cosi, frequently, the reason why he, he worked so hard to get out of the Italian film industry in the 80s was because he had a big frustration with the Italian film industry. He would say, like, Italians, especially in genre, like science fiction and horror, they couldn't do original stuff unless you were Dario Argento. Um, he's like, you couldn't – so they would want to just make a film that's like another film that already existed or rip it off, which he – and he pointed specifically to Zombie 2. He's like, Lucio Fulci wasn't given the opportunity to make an original film – uh, uh, so he was given Zombie 2. He's like, I could never make Zombie 1. You could only make Zombie 2. The same with all the other knockoffs and ripoffs from the Italian film industry at the time. Uh, so Donald Pleasance was only hired for one week of shooting, and they filmed so fast that he was done in three days. The original cut of the film was roughly eight minutes longer with scenes of planets, galaxies, and parallel dimensions that were supposed to give the movie a, a stronger science fiction touch. I mean, yeah. Yeah, why not? <laughs> <laughs> works for Terrence Malick. Just um, throw some planets in there, it'll do it. Yeah. There was also more background on Paganini's life and a longer ending in which Donald Pleasance's character puts on Paganini's mask and clothes. Uh, Kazi had to cut the scenes on behalf of DeAngelis, who wanted the movie to be more straightforward. And I argue by removing that stuff, you made the movie less straightforward and yes. kind of killed, like, like, if there were planets and galaxies in this movie, man keep it in there. Why not? Like, that's, that's awesome. Uh, we should also point out that the little girl who kills her mother in the opening scene is Kazi's actual daughter, uh, Galda Kazi. She appeared in four productions directed by her father, including the television show Turno de Notte, the film Sinbad of the Seven Seas, Paganini Horror, and uh, Kazi's next film immediately after this, El Gato Nero, which I said earlier was also known as Edgar Allan Poe's The Black Cat, a.k.a. Demon Six. So that was Paganini Horror, our first film of 2021. And our next film will be better, I swear. Um, <laughs> I, li- I like this under, uh, under that same Wikipedia article, this under reception. It says, in his book, Italian Horror Film Directors, uh, Luis Paul retrospectively noted that nobody likes Paganini Horror, Kazi included. <laughs> yeah. <Got it. laughs> uh, so with that being said, final thoughts on Paganini Horror, Phil. Oh wow, this movie was absolute dog shit. <laughs> I, to, in its defense, and yeah, it was a bad movie. I did laugh a bunch. 
Yeah. Yeah, sure. Every now and then I'd be like, <laughs> you know, it got some good guffaws out of me because it was so, uh, it was bonkers enough and sometimes. Yeah. At, at times, but I found that I was bored most of the time. And yeah. especially after the first act, it just, it literally just loses the plot and it mm-hmm. just lost me and I was just kind of bored. At least it's there, quick. There it's is quick, a, yeah. There is but, a solid, I'd say, 40 minutes between the 20 minute mark and the one hour mark where yeah. things are just kind of wishy-washy and nothing's really solid. Well, the uh, the uh, the exposition that they'll throw in just grinds any action to a halt generally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's usually not even necessary. It's like, mm-hmm. we don't need to know all of this, to be honest with you. Oh, I just kept drifting during the exposition. <laughs> well, I get the feeling that what happened is, like, during filming, Kazi would have this amazing scene written, and then the producers would be like, we can't film it, just have them say what happens. Yeah, just explain it. Yeah, just have all the characters stand in a row, in one long row, and just talk at each other exactly what's going to happen. Okay, can we show the 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 um, him finding the the mannequins? No, we'll just he'll just say that he found it. Yeah, we'll never see any mannequins whatsoever. That's yeah, he'll just say it. Okay, can we say like show this guy's like previous films to show he's a good director? No, we'll just say he's the best horror director. Okay. Like, can we show that this is the room that Paganini, like, sold his soul to the devil in? Nah, we'll just have her say it. It's just over and over again, like, say, like, you know, it's the old trope, show, don't tell. And this movie was all tell, don't show. Yeah. Um, I will say the, um, the poster, the poster yeah. art they got, they got here. That looks oh, cool. The poster is, is definitely good. I will say, like, it's, like, I like, especially movies in the 80s about fake bands trying to do something. Yes. Like, you know, yeah. I'm a fan of Albert Pune's Vicious Lips. I'm a fan of Thor, obviously. Uh, oh, sorry, not Thor. Um, Rock and Roll Nightmare. Um, Dream Warriors, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3. It's not really a band. That's just no. four kids. There's a band in it, though. Dokken. Uh, yeah. but, um, but no, like, I mean, I don't hate this movie. It's, it's not very good. I'm certainly glad that I didn't spend the $30 to buy the special edition Blu-ray. Uh, thank you, Tubi, for hosting this movie. Um, but I'm a, I'm a fan of Luigi Cosi and I can see that he was constantly just hitting a wall of like, like just stopping, stopping, stopping. Cause he was the guy that made star crash, which is like one of the all time great bonkers sci-fi movies. And he even admitted about star crash. He's like, I knew with the budget, we couldn't do anything resembling star Wars. So for star crash, he just was like, let's just make it crazy. Like, why not just go with it? Like. I, I prove of that instinct. That's a good one. Yeah. And this film, I just think there just wasn't the, the time or the effort or not the time, but the time, the money or just the the uh, the the support you need making a film to make it anything more than what it was. Because uh, I do think the idea of a of a violinist selling his soul to Satan and then coming back like to haunt a rock band. Like when I read that description, I was like, oh, this is going to be awesome. There's potential there. And then yeah. you, you throw Donald Pleasance in. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, like they got Donald Pleasance, which was a huge get at the time. Uh, Kit, what are your final thoughts on Paganini horror? I mean, I mean, just that. I mean, if you're uh, some sort of weird Donald Pleasance completist, um, it's it's, head. Affair, it's 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 over pretty quick. It's it's kind of wacky at times. I, I laughed, but yeah, no, it's it's not a good movie. Mm-hmm. I know it's unfortunate. Um, I mean, see it if you're like, it's I mean, kind of, it's, huh? It's kind of fun at times. Just yeah. I would say that it is, it's, you know, it's another slice. And this is like, unfortunately, the late 80s in Italy were not a good time for horror movies, like the early 80s and the late 70s. Um, So, I mean, it's that slice of like, hey, it's another European horror film with weird elements in it. But uh, yeah, it's not, it's not Luigi Cosi's best film, uh, but it's, it's certainly not the worst film I've ever seen. So that's my thoughts. So um, we'll be back sooner rather than later. I'm not sure what our next movie is going to be, but it'll be something good. And yeah, so for uh, Death by Video, I've been Phil. I, I've been uh, Kit. And I'm still Graham saying, please be sure to rewind. We'll see you next time. Stay safe. Good night. Mm-hmm.